Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, from Continuum. Here at Continuum, we've designed a lot of complicated things in the healthcare space. But a few months ago, we arrived at work to discover something truly incredible in the dry dock area next to our building, a United States Naval Hospital ship, the USNS Comfort. This is a 1,000-bed floating hospital that the Navy can deploy around the world to assist in both humanitarian missions and combat situations. The Comfort's logistics are pretty crazy to process. How do you do surgery safely on a boat? How do you ensure that in areas where the infrastructure is down and there's no clean water and maybe thousands of people are rushing their injured families to you for aid, how do you manage the flow of people and provide them with all the care that they need? Well, we had to know more, and we were fortunate enough to take a tour of the Comfort with Captain Lanny Boswell, the commanding officer of the Comfort. Captain Boswell, who has been deployed across the globe in a variety of missions, explained how the design of the ship is uniquely suited to handle disasters with extremely high levels of efficiency, which is necessary if you need to be able to do over 350 surgeries a day, all while generating your own water and electricity. Let's hear more from Captain Boswell and the conversation he had with Mike Dunkley, Senior Vice President of Continuum's medical business, regarding the comfort, operations at sea, patient flow, and designing a mobile, self-sufficient healthcare ecosystem. So we're, we're recording this podcast having just had a tour of U.S. Naval Ship Comfort. And it's a great privilege, I have to say, uh, Captain Boswell, to be able to chat to you and uh, share some of, um, some of your experience and stories with our audience. You know, when we reflect on why we moved to the Innovation District, this part of Boston, it was because we wanted to you know, have chance meetings and, and yeah. um, bump into people that ordinarily we wouldn't see. Yeah. And so when we, uh, when we came into work one day and we see this beautiful vessel come into dry dock, everybody in the building was super excited. We wanted to find out more about it. So to actually be invited and for you to graciously host and take time out of your busy schedule is, is a real privilege well, and honor. It was Thank our you pleasure. Very much. Yeah. The crew, any opportunity a Navy crew has to talk about their vessel, uh, you know they're going to do it. Yeah, so it, it was an honor to have you guys over there. Well, it was, in, it was incredibly eye-opening. But, you know, for the benefit of um, people tuning into the podcast who haven't had that experience, maybe we just start with what is comfort? Mm. What, is, what is the vessel that you know, we, we toured today? Um, so my disclaimer, I'm, I'm not in the design field, but I'm an appreciative user, uh, end user of, of what uh, your industry does. Uh, I can speak uh, probably extensively from a biased point of view on, on what the ship does. But very basically, um, the ship is, uh, again, it's one of two ships that we talked about today. So it's, there's only two of its kind, I should say, in the world. Um, it was a retrofitted oil tanker uh, and is now one of the largest medical centers in the world. And um, in a combat mission would be the largest surgical trauma center in the world. That's the kind of capability it brings. Uh, so we're quite proud of the design and innovation of how they retrofitted that existing uh, vessel. Um, very briefly, the, the ship is a thousand bed hospital capacity uh, designed primarily for surgical trauma, as I mentioned, uh, has the capability of pushing 360 surgical traumas a day uh, through a pipeline. And because we were built, uh, again, oil tankers were built for efficiency and simplicity uh, because the, the, the idea was to make money and that platform uh, then lends itself to uh, the longevity and sustainability of the ship in its mission. 
Uh, and we have three very different missions. Uh, we have the combat mission, which is our primary reason for existence, is combat support, to move in anywhere that we have uh, troops or, or men and women in conflict uh, and be available in the most austere environment to provide the highest quality medical care. So part of the promise that was extended to our troops is that um, if they sustain a casualty, they would not just get uh, a Band-Aid and some patchwork, whatever we had available, but that they would get the very highest. So the, the, you probably noticed today in the visit, the crew takes very seriously uh, that they are the providers of that promise of being able to provide. So that's the slogan. If you sustain an injury anywhere in the world, in these environments, you will get Boston Trauma Center right. level of care uh, coming through the door. Can we just uh, pick up on that? So um, yeah. to, to expand, so this, this is a floating hospital, but it's, you know, it's a state-of-the-art facility. You mentioned a thousand you know, hospital beds, but you know, maybe some of the other things that are, are, are on here, there's 12 operating rooms? Yeah, maybe that's correct. Kind of so uh, yeah, some, some of the, some some of the data massive, points. Because it's incredibly impressive. Um, and that, and that, you know, uh, so first to the point, it's it, the, the hospital tanker was from the late 80s, uh, but the hospital internal is absolutely state-of-the-art, the latest generation of medical equipment and probably even more efficient design of patient flow because of mm-hmm. uh, the constraints that were initially set on. So we have, um, again, we're, we have a thousand bed capacity and that's uh, up to 100 critical care beds and 900 ward beds that are divided so we have the ability to break them in in pieces we have 12 or suites or more accurately we sacrificed one or suite and moved our interventional radiology suite each of the ors is large enough and is designed for flexibility and adaptability so we can do two surgeries at a time in each of the ors one major and one minor Mm -hmm. surgery for logistical Issues. So it is possible to do as many as 24 surgeries at a time. Um, we have uh, 50 emergency bays for so each uh, so our emergency room is quite large, and we have eight of those emergency bays which have the ability to do uh, actual full surgeries uh, in a clean environment instead of one of the surgical suites. Um, our flow is probably the most unique. So besides having what sounds like an amazing number, if you will, of mm-hmm. emergency bays and ORs and our you know, post-anesthetic care and then our ICUs and then into our wards, the flow and optimum, uh, our, our flow is unilateral. It runs right down midships and center line of the ship. So it's at the level of the ship that has the most stable environment. Because of the center of gravity considerations with the oil uh, platform, it is one of the most uh, stable platforms, and you're on it today, it's hard to believe it's, it's, it's floating at all once right. you're inside the right. skin. Um, that unilateral flow, uh, what it is allowed in communications between the teams, and so there's a different type of medicine in trauma. So if you would imagine in either a disaster response setting or a combat setting, the ship is taking on large numbers of patients at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's quite different than, let's say, um, a uh, community hospital or a, a local center where you're taking in intensive patients, but maybe not quite at the tune of 200, 300, you know, 1,000 at a time. 
what that the unilateral design has allowed us to do is we'll have, um, let's say, in the casualty receiving area, they'll be already communicating. The surgeons that might be waiting for the next, uh, the team that might be waiting for the next patient is down in casualty receiving, already learning the patients that they will be moving forward. And now the surgical teams are picking up the ones that they have the most optimal skill sets for or uh, advantage then that leapfrogging of communication, they're taking the patients into surgery and at the same time the intensivists uh, and intensive care nurses in ICU are picking up the patients on the backside. So this leapfrogging of communication is Mm -hmm. not done uh, by going up two or three flights of stairs or into another level or to another building. They're literally down the hall. Um, Quite often that passing of the baton becomes so effortless and so smooth uh, it, it just leads to an optimization of... Uh, I think that was one of the most striking things visiting today was the basic layout of the ship and how it was designed around, you know, its, its trauma its trauma function. And then obviously some maybe unexpected things, at least for those of us, us that don't have to think about these things day to day, you've got, you know, staging errors, decontamination of incoming, you know, patients. Right. Um, um, the, the, <clears throat> so the ship does... Uh, the primary reason for existence is combat support. Um, our secondary mission is for emergent or urgent disasters where we use the same, so the same optimal sort of medical mm-hmm. care we might use if we roll into, again, most of the natural or man-made disasters um, end up being a, quite an austere environment. Uh, usually those areas have lost their infrastructure of mm-hmm. uh, clean water and power and sanitation. There's usually chaos, no communication. Uh, the debris, they're still trying to find survivors and, and right. things of that nature. So the same type of principles that we've developed for use in combat, we now apply in a humanitarian uh, aid sort of way. Um, again, I don't think I articulate that well. So while we have a, an amazing number of capability, if you just look at the number of our ER bays or our equipment or our beds or what capabilities we have such as CT scanners on board a floating hospital or four radiology suites and a vast number of portable x-rays, that sort of thing. It's exponentially, the the advantage, the the effectiveness of it is exponentially applied because of the uniflow of patients. That's that's what I was trying to say. Right, no, absolutely. Maybe um, maybe it would help to give a couple of examples of where uh, comfort's been deployed. So you mentioned, for instance, uh, humanitarian relief, Mm. disaster response. So the earthquake in Haiti is a great example, right? Because comfort sailed into that. Uh, disaster, right? So it, it, it's, uh, it, we sailed into the disaster. We were part of the, the humanitarian assistance. So uh, Haiti, and I'm trying to remember the demographics, but the Haiti devastation in 2010 uh, had left record numbers of fatalities right. as well as casualties. Um, and uh, there was a very large-scale um, effort to try to save as many people as, as possible. So we went down there along with um, our marine, what we call our amphibious uh, ships, and they were putting uh, marines on the ground to try to clear debris and find survivors. Uh, we had aviation uh, helos there trying to uh, watch from the air. They're looking at the things. Helo. Helos. Sorry, just yes. expand on helos. Oh, okay. <laughs> the helos. Uh, so the helicopters right. uh, are the helos. Uh, the, we had rotor wing, uh, rotary wing heli- helicopters of different uh, variations, and that aviation community was above trying to get a handle 
on what the devastation looked like. Uh, this was coordinated with ground teams that were trying to get a handle on what was happening on the ground. There was central commands to try to explain what the effort would look like in one of these disasters is really impossible to do. Um, uh, people think in terms of uh, very small scale, it's hard to even describe it, much less the, the coordination. So command and control has to be set up so that you're, you're not forgetting some places and where to send search parties and how to communicate in places where, you know, and Haiti as an example, Creole uh, and French uh, and English were probably the primary right. languages. We don't necessarily have a lot of Creole speakers uh, inherently on board, so pulling in those translators, uh, working, we had um, uh, at least 12 different humanitarian, civilian humanitarian groups that came with us and became right. part of our crew and were working that. We were putting combat construction or what the Navy calls CB teams on the ground that were trying to bring back power and water right. and right. bring, uh, you know, find the wells and clear roads and, and find survivors. So we came as part of the med medical team and we put um, field tents on the ground which start doing screening and mm -hmm. picking up the trauma. You have to start with that uh, sort of thing. But that, you can only get this sort of relief effort, I think, from military logistics. We had to have a certain amount of control because as the population knew there was um, aid and assistance, they were rushing, right. uh, you know, of course, trying, and, and rightly so, trying to get their family uh, to assistance. Uh, so that triage of how to bring in and move patients quickly to the level of care they need without overburdening other levels right. of care is, is quite a choreographed uh, scene. Right. But um, in Haiti, the comfort we had, uh, I, I, the, the numbers were approximately uh, 200 trauma patients a day that kept coming for about six weeks. Um, we're probably one of the only assets capable of handling such a thing. I think um, when we talked about design, we are designed inherently to move into an austere environment and sustain. We generate our own power. Uh, we generate our own, we make right. our own clean water. Um, again, our levels of capacity, uh, we can generate 2,500 kilowatts instantly. Uh, uh, we, we, we can make uh, uh, 300,000 gallons of water a day uh, that can go into water tankers and be moved ashore. So the, these are some of the unique capabilities. It's, you're going into an area potentially hugely devastated. You're having to take this floating ecosystem into there and provide pretty much everything you're going to need. It's, it's this is a, not like Mass General in downtown Boston. This is a hospital out in the front here. Out in the front. Trying to do an incredibly it's, difficult job. The the. And to, that's exactly what the ship is designed for. If there's not right. power, we've got it. If there's right. not water, we've got it. Right. We have our own medical incinerators, and we have our own waste disposal systems, which uh, uh, clean, filter, and degrade. Uh, you know everything from uh, biodegradable waste to, to medical waste to human waste right. uh, on the ship. So uh, we leave virtually no eco footprint. That was. Um, when it was designed, you would like to be able to think that was part of the green effort. Uh, in fact, it was for efficiency and optimization of material. Right. To right. be able to go into one of these areas, either devastated uh, from disaster or combat, um, the idea was to be able to be on site and provide that um, state-of-the-art level of medical care 
indefinitely if, if we had to, but for as long as possible before a supply chain uh, had to be figured out to right. come in and, right. and backfill. Right. So we have um, two enormous barns. We carry medical consumables and pharmaceuticals and surgical anesthetics right. uh, um, that will keep us, we, we, our general rule of thumb is we can, we can do 360 casualty, trauma casualties a day for three months uh, without a resupply of consumables. Right. So our consumables and probably our, our food items are our limiting factor, right. but of course we, we never do that. We, we always backfill, we bring in supply chains and supply Especially ships. Especially around some of the more perishable things Absolutely. like pharmaceuticals. pharmaceuticals. You know, one of the things that really caught my um, attention today was the blood. And that yes. you know, it's a trauma hospital, right? So you need a lot of blood. A lot of blood. But um, I don't know if you can say a little bit about the parameters there. Yeah, we. So we are uh, when we're full up round. I I, I believe the, the we are the the largest or one of the largest blood banks in the world. So right. we're supplied through the armed forces blood system when we're answering a combat call. But we can carry five thousand units. We carry three thousand frozen and two thousand uh, whole, and uh, we can also do our own deglissing and blood product. Right processing on board, but we also have the ability to, we have away teams that can teach uh, walking blood bank procedures to either marine battalions on the ground or the crew itself can uh, can turn into something like that if, if for any reason we absolutely do run out. So blood is, um, is quite a valuable asset um, in a disaster or in combat. Um, the especially with the type of warfare we've had in the last 15 years, mm -hmm. um, explosive detonary is the signature weapon, uh, and that has led to quite a change. And so the type of injuries we we see are quite comprehensive, and the loss of blood and body fluids is extreme. Right. Uh, so the science of uh, the advances in knowledge of exsanguination medicine. Uh, and procedures is, is so um, that, that capability becomes even more important even more important. So it's it's a yeah. valuable yeah. valuable product. Yeah. We had answered. Um, I don't know if I had answered your your question. So our ship has has quite a legacy. Uh, we've been in obviously the devastating disasters of Haiti in mm -hmm. 2010. Um, our ship answered the call on 9/11. We were in New York Harbor. Mm -hmm. We started that mission thinking it was a combat mission. 9/11 the entire country thought these attacks were going to go on indefinitely, uh, you know, especially after D.C. was also under attack in, the, mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania, the, the downed airliner. Mm -hmm. um, but after two or three days, it turned into more of a disaster response, and we provided our helo, our um, helicopter and our flight decks actually provided uh, central controllers to move different uh, responders in and out of that downtown area. We were right there. Right. Uh, in in the port, so we used that, so that asset became even more valuable. And we were treating mostly in 9/11 things. Uh, there was a lot of respiratory ailments. A lot right. of the first responders uh, became victims uh, themselves, and exhaustion, of course, was a huge event as well as uh, some of the psychological events. So 9/11, we were in New Orleans for Hurricane Katrina, mm -hmm. responding to uh, to our own. We we answer. We're on call. Obviously, all the time, but uh, hurricane season, June through December on the East Coast, gets quite exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, so we answer those calls uh, as well. Um, 
This idea of being mm -hmm. prepared was one another mm. thing that struck me today. I mean, we can talk about the design of a hospital as it's actually working, but this idea that you have to go from correct from being in port to being fully deployed within five days. Can you talk a little bit more? Five about days. That, that is a, <laughs> for us as designers. That that's a tremendous design challenge. That that, that, that keeps us up at night. Right. Um, it's uh, quite that's quite exciting. Um, we we are in what we call ready five status. Um, we do. We have to be prepared from when we're given a signal, a go signal, to be able to throw the lines within five days. That's that's our, our uh, requirement, uh, and and we usually uh, do it in three days. Our crew is a stacking crew in order to keep our skills, uh, especially the medical skills, as high as possible. Our people work in medical centers uh, all the time down the street and then we they pull in just in time so these are service personnel service personnel rather uh, typically rather than civ civilian correct although when we go into the humanitarian or disaster responses we right. also bring in um, right. uh, civilian uh, like I said we mm -hmm. were connected to uh, a number of humanitarian or non-governmental organizations mm -hmm. uh, they come on and sign right onto the crew uh, usually they're not moving in five days we pick them up a little bit easier we, we have a complicated medical logistics dance. We keep on board um, in pre-built kits, if you will, um, items that we feel we will need. And we build them so we'll have orthopedic trauma surgery kits right. and neurological trauma surgery kits. And by kits, I'm talking a, a mesh box, um, probably um, six feet cubed. Right, if you will, and uh, these, and we'll have an X number of them, and we try to pre-plan for particular activation, and those are very long-term medical consumables, and then we have intermediate-term medical consumables, and even short-term, like our pharmaceuticals or our uh, anesthetic medications. Right. Uh, these have a very short shelf life, and they're also very expensive. So, our medical logistics to activate. Uh, our consumables is um, a variance. It, it's on a, a sliding continuum from long-term, it's always on board, to right. intermediate where we keep the hammer cocked, if you will, for uh, you know every two months we're rolling these through and then we, we have to roll them off before they expire and we move them to a medical center and then we replenish with a new, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah. we have some, yeah. uh, and so this is a sliding all the way down to there's some things we simply bring on after the call that arrive on our dock and we have very just-in-time, right. uh, if you will, uh, contracts with um, pharmaceutical companies and things of that nature where they, when we get the call within you know two days, they'll have the supply there. That's right. medical consumables, probably our hardest. Again, because the ship is designed to generate, now we have our own um, medical-grade oxygen and nitrogen right. generation generated plants. on-site. On-site, yeah. uh, and we also uh, store and keep, besides our trim system that pipes it centrally through our, our hospital through the ship, we also have centralized vacuum systems, um, and that we fill up uh, bombolas, uh, oxygen tanks, and have them ready in case, for some reason, our two generators go down. We have. Right. Uh, a lot of redundancy to ensure that we never... So a lot of thinking goes into contingency planning, logistics, supply right. chain, being prepared for being prepared. the unexpected. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. I, I got a strong impression from your team today that this is clearly mission-driven, right? You rely on 
people really believing in what what this is about you to, to get you through some of the challenges I imagine that you, I, you see. I think that's very yeah. uh, intuitive of you to pick yeah. up on that I uh, from as, as the captain it's very easy to uh, you know look at your crew and say well oh, they're, they're doing fantastic but it really does come down to um, the belief in in the three missions right. our mission is to um, move into very difficult environments even in conflict and provide assistance of the highest quality care and the, as you had stated the challenges are so intense and so immense um, it, it really is the belief in the mission to begin with that um, uh, that carries the day uh, and it does no matter what the hurdle I think people are looking at the end result so whatever comes your way, instead of getting clogged down, every challenge, if you will, just becomes another bump in the road right, because right, people right. are always looking at the goal yeah. and they believe in it uh, so much. It, it is, um, it, it's, it's quite interesting to, uh, to talk about, but the ship uh, ends up representing multiple different things and levels. Uh, so on one level, to our armed forces in combat, we would represent, if you will, sort of the nation's promise to provide the highest right. quality care. And there's a certain amount of comfort when they're going into harm's way to know that we're sitting, no, no play on words, right. comfort, but we're, yeah. that, that the USNS comfort is sitting right offshore and that it's a helicopter flight away. On another level, we represent um, uh, if you will, the, the, the best of who we are as a nation and our um, alliances, the multiple countries that we take on board, mm -hmm. we, we represent sort of, I guess, the, the benevolence of a great thought that we're all in this together um, and answering those humanitarian missions with the same skill sets um, brings about a whole other level of, uh, of mission. Right. Uh, so whenever we move, that, as you mentioned, we're a very large white billboard with red crosses, but what we represent is quite complex and takes on different meanings. So in some of these countries where um, healthcare is few and far between, when, when we move in, we can impact and change the, the health of a small country for years right. with a three-week stay. Um, and so this this symbol is um, quite different. It's a, right, right. it's a giant symbol of hope. Right. It sounds a little schmarmy. It's, it's hard not to, uh, to describe it any other way. It, it's such a, a depth of, of impact. Well, the, the sense of mission from your staff was palpable, and I think to put it in human terms is, is powerful as well. I, mm. I, I, Thank I, you. I can't remember who it was on the tour today, but someone recounted a story in Haiti that you, um, you delivered um, several babies on that <laughs> vessel, and then five years later you're back in Haiti, and as a five-year-old boy, you know, recalling that, I mean, he can remember the experience directly, but recalling that kind of presumably transformative moment in his life. So I think uh, uh, when uh, the story I heard is when he came on, yes, right, he was, he was actually born on the ship, right. and when he came back on to visit, they, they didn't make him an a honorary crew member. They reminded him that he was already right. an honorary right. crew member. And, but the, that's an interesting paradigm shift even for people who don't understand the, the multiple types of missions. I mean, we're, we're a combat, we're a military combat asset. Um, and we're delivering babies on, on board. Right. Uh, that complexity of the different missions I think I was discussing, yeah. we, while extremely 
devastating and comprehensive the type of trauma we now see in combat with explosive detonry. We know what's coming in the door. It's, we, we have a very good idea of, of that and what consumables we bring and what skill sets or medical providers we have on board. When we answer a disaster, we could be delivering babies. We could be del uh, um, working with people that have, you know, from, as I said today, pediatrics to geriatrics that come with comorbidities and complex medical complications that we don't know because we don't have their medical record. Right. Uh, there's the language we, we pre-plan to have interpreters and translators when we move to uh, disaster versus in combat where we can uh, probably assure that we're working with allied forces and the English and we bring in, of course, that kind of thing. So right. uh, another complex overlay and yeah, uh, yeah it takes on another it's, level. It, it's so incredibly complex we could dig into it for forever. It's been a it's been a real um, exciting time for us to be able to look over your vessel out of the windows here at Continuum. We we absolutely appreciate your service and we really appreciate you taking time out for the tour and for, for chatting with us today. Yeah, thank you thank very you. much. It's been our crew's honor to have you over. It's great to be associated with a company like yours where you're always looking for better and best and, and move forward. I appreciate it. The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and the workplace, and we love hearing how different people go about doing this repeatedly. Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to Captain Boswell and to Mike for their great conversation today. Cheers to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Numerous kudos to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all of his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Pete Chapin. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Mm -hmm.